Well, if you'd like to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 2 Chronicles and chapter 27. 2 Chronicles and chapter 27. And I'll allow you a little bit of extra time to find 2 Chronicles. book of Chronicles is an interesting book. Uh, in the Hebrew, the book title is The Words of the Days. That's the, that's the title, The Words of the Days. Uh, the days being the days of history and the words written of it. The Greeks, when, or the Jewish people, when they translated the Bible into Greek in, for the Septuagint, they gave it the title of Things Omitted, because this book contains uh, details that are not recorded in the other history books of the Old Testament, like the Book of Kings. Uh, but it was uh, Jerome, when he translated the, the Bible into Latin for the Vulgate, he came up with the more less mouthy word of Chronicles, <laughs> which was a, a good description of it. But it's a very important book. In the year 450 BC, Ezra came back to the land of Israel with one of the uh, returning delegations of the people to come and resettle in the land. And this man was a priest who was a great student of the word. And all the Jewish authorities believe he is the man who wrote the books of 1 and 2 Chronicles. And what his purpose was, was to give a history for the people who had been away in captivity so that they could find their identity again as the people of God. And this book begins with Adam and it goes right the way through to the decree of Cyrus to return back to the land. So it gives you the whole Old Testament in a potted form and it showed them by their family trees where they all fitted in and it reminded them of the story of their history. But it was also a book which was designed to inspire them to live for the Lord. Now they were back in the land so they wouldn't go astray. And uh, it's a book of warnings and inspiration. So that's what the book of Chronicles is about. And we're going to read just one chapter this evening. Uh, chapter 27 of 2 Chronicles. Chapter 27. About a king called Jotham. Jotham was 25 years old when he became king. And he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Uzziah had done. Although he did not enter the temple of the Lord, but still the people acted corruptly. He built the upper gate of the house of the Lord, and he built extensively on the wall of Aphel. Moreover, he built cities in the mountains of Judah, and in the forests he built fortresses and towers. He also fought with the king of the Ammonites and defeated them. And the people of Ammon gave him in that year 100 talents of silver, 10,000 cores of wheat and 10,000 of barley. The people of Ammon paid this to him in the second and third years also. So Jotham became mighty because he prepared his ways before the Lord his God. Now the rest of the acts of Jotham and all his wars and his ways, indeed they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. He was 25 years old when he became king and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. So Jotham rested with his fathers and they buried him in the city of David. Then Ahaz his son reigned in his place came across a, a very 
touching story about a Christian academy in America. Uh, I think it's in Michigan, uh, a, a town, uh, a, a school called Maranatha. And uh, Maranatha is a good Bible word. It means that the Lord's coming. And uh, it's a, a second coming word that comes from the book of 1 Corinthians. But nevertheless, that's the name of the school. And their school has a great athletics team. And the girls in 2009 entered the Kansas High School State Track Championship. And among other things, what they were doing was they were doing the relay race. Well, Sadly, they came second. They're another team, uh, St. Mary's from, uh, if I can find the name of the place where they're from, Colgan. St. Mary's Colgan, they came first and they were all awarded medals and the girls uh, celebrated. However, the next day, they were all called back to the track and the girls from St. Mary's were all asked to hand back their medals. Very sadly, what had happened, one of the girls had had her foot over the line when she started the race. And so disqualified the whole team. And they all had to hand back their medals. And they had to give them to the team from Maranatha, the Christian team. And those girls, they took the medals and they looked at the poor girls who'd had to hand them over. And you know what? Each one of them put them back on the shoulders of those girls. They gave them back. And when later on they were asked why they did this, their coach Bernie Zada said, our theme for the year was to run not for our glory, but for God's glory. (laughs) What an amazing attitude. And I don't know about you, but to me that really inspires me. That's a story of somebody living for the Lord and walking for the Lord and doing something. I mean, to have a medal is something you treasure for life. But they gave it back to those girls and uh, graciously uh, gave them their original prizes back. Well, here in the Bible, in the book of Two Chronicles, we have the story of a man who's given to inspire us and who was given to inspire those early Jewish people who'd come back to the land in the days of Ezra and afterwards. He's a king, he's a king by the name of Jotham and he lives around the year 735 uh, BC, 750 BC to 735 BC. And he's a 25 year old man when he becomes king and he's going to reign for 16 years in Jerusalem, which tells you he only lived until he was 41 years old. And this man lived an exemplary life. Matthew Henry called him a pious, prosperous prince of whom we wish we could know more. And what an amazing story this is about a man of God who was a king. Charles Spurgeon said, it must be hard to be a king and to be a saint at the same time. The combination has seldom occurs, and when it has, it has been a prodigious triumph of divine grace. And we would agree. It's a wonderful story that I want us to have a look at tonight. To see his example for his generation and for ours. And I want to say tonight, what we're talking about is true story, a true story, it's true history. Not only do we have it from the inspired record in scripture, but we also have archaeology that confirms the existence of uh, Jotham. Down in Ezion Geber, as it was called, what we would call today Eilat, which is uh, a seaport onto the Red Sea, uh, they found, archaeologists found a ring, a seal with a ring which said, this belongs to Jotham. It was a, a, a ring of the king and it had a, a sacrificial ram, as you can see there on the picture uh, that they've made of what the ring looked like and his name around the edge. It's a true story. And he's a very important king in the line of kings for the line of Judah. Um, He's one of the three major ones from now on who are good kings. There were a lot of bad kings, but he was one of the major good ones, along with Hezekiah and Josiah. Now, he actually is one of three 
who come in a series together, three kings. And there is actually an overlapping of their reigns. His reign, Jotham, comes after his father, Uzziah. And we'll talk about Uzziah in a moment. Uh, Uzziah, also known as Azariah, helpfully, sometimes they had two names. Uzziah was his father, but his father caught leprosy as a judgment from God. And so his son became his co-regent to handle the throne uh, at that time after he became ill. But even in his time, Jotham had a son called Ahaz, and his son became a co-regent with him as well later on and those who do bible surveys like uh, the the bible scholar would he tells us there's actually an overlap of four years where you have three co-regents all at once father son and grandson like three generations today for chris who uh, have were all at one time in regal authority but this text actually homes in on the main man in the story jotham He's also at the time of three major prophets that you know well, Isaiah, Micah and Hosea. And if ever you read those prophets in the Old Testament, you'll see that they always start off saying the dates of when they reign, when they prophesy. And Isaiah says he came in the reign of Jotham. Micah says he came in the reign of Jotham. And Hosea came in the reign of Jotham. That's useful if you're studying the Bible. That tells you those prophets can give you some background information that is not in this story, things that are going on, and gives you a picture of what life was like in those days. Also helps you to know that there were godly influences on the throne at that time as will become apparent and Jotham was a good king who was uh, an inspiration for his generation and for others to follow Will Rogers said people's minds are changed through observation not argument people do what people see and that's the, the idea behind recording this. You know, there's a lady uh, in America, uh, in Nebraska, whose name is Julie James. And she's been commended for her impeccable dress. And uh, the fact that she seems to dress with great elegance. And it's been a great deal of, about her in the newspaper and uh, her, her involvement in different things. And she always seems to find these elegant outfits that are just right. Do you know why? She copies Princess Kate, (laughs) Kate Middleton. And uh, all her outfits are basically Kate Middleton copies. And uh, that she's given away the secret. What she's doing is she's got a good example and she's following a good example. That's what the Bible would have us do with the life of Jotham. Have a look at this man's life. And like good King Wenceslas told his servant to put his feet in his footsteps, we can put our feet, as it were, spiritually in the footsteps of good King Jotham as well. He's a good king for us to be inspired by. And I want us to see tonight four things about him from this text that we can uh, learn about his life from. First of all, we can see his walk in verses 1 and 2. And when I say his walk, I don't mean his stride, although I'm sure he'd take uh, all my jokes in his stride. But I mean his walk, his lifestyle, as a, a phrase that we use often, isn't it, the, a lot about life. We're walking through life. Life is a journey. Dire Straits have a, a song, The Walk of Life. Uh, you know, the football song, You'll Never Walk Alone. It's, it's talking about life's journey, sharing uh, as a walk. And in the Bible, we're told to walk worthy of the Lord our God. Well, Jotham did that in his life. And this is what we're told right at the outset. We're giving an inspiration, uh, an inspiring look at the walk of his life. We're told in verse 1 that he was 25 years old and that he reigned for 16 years in Jerusalem. And uh, that's also repeated, you'll notice, down in verse 8. And so it forms like brackets around this passage. What we would call a structural thing called a chiasm would would be developed from this. And we're told his mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok, which we'll come back to. But then we're told about his walk, how he lived a godly life. And we're told it in two negatives. We're told... That he didn't fall into the sins of his parents. He didn't follow the sins of his parents. If you look in verse 2, it says, And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Uzziah had done, 
although he did not enter the temple of the Lord. Now, Uzziah's father was a good man. And he was one of the good kings. But unfortunately, King Uzziah, as Chuck Swindle said, must have read his own newspaper clippings. Because unfortunately, he got puffed up and proud at his great success. And he took on himself the role of a priest. If you look in the previous chapter 26 and verse 16, it says, but, and it's the but in his life story that's so tragic. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he trembled transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So Azariah the priest went in after him and with him were 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, it's not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. For the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense... Get out of the sanctuary, for you have trespassed. You shall have no honour from the Lord God. And uh, as a judgment for what happened, what, what, what he did, he'd gone in to burn incense, which was something which only the priests were allowed to do. Leprosy broke out on his forehead, and they drove him out as a leper. Interesting, in the Bible, your forehead is the place where God's mark of judgment is seen. You remember Cain, after he murdered Abel, God put a mark on Cain's forehead. And in the book of Revelation, we read about the the false church in Revelation 17, and she has written on her forehead, Mystery Babylon. And it's the forehead where the, the mark of judgment comes. Well, here... He had a leprous out, uh, a mark of leprosy break out on his forehead because he had sinned. And, uh, you know, it was a tragic, tragic thing for Uzziah to go and do that. It really was something that let his legacy down, that he had fallen into such pride. But Jotham took notice of that. And he said, I'm not going to do what my father did wrong. I'll do what he did right. And you'll find a lot of parallels between Jotham and his father. But he said, I'm not going to do what he did wrong. And he decided he was going to walk with the Lord faithfully and uh, not sin as his parents had done. But also, he didn't follow the sins of his people. Because if you look at the next part of verse 2, at the end, the last sentence, it says this. But still, the people acted corruptly. In other words, he did what was right, but the people acted corruptly. And the people there is the nation of Judah. And if you read the parallel account in 2 Kings chapter 15, you'll read that they still went after their idolatry and they still went in to sin, even though Jotham himself was a good man. But he didn't follow them into the course of sin. You know, that's a very difficult thing to do. I wonder if you ever heard this story. It's quite a frightening story about a young man by the name of Ben Carpenter, 21 years old, who's a wheelchair user. And he was crossing a road when a a lorry, one of these big American lorries, caught the back of his wheelchair in the grill of his lorry. And because they have these big long noses, the lorry driver didn't know what was going on down there. And this poor young man had his wheelchair hooked on the front of the lorry and the lorry went down the motorway 50 miles an hour and it was drivers coming the other way were horrified, could see this poor young lad in the wheelchair being pushed along and they called the police uh, and managed to stop the lorry and save his life. A terrifying thing to happen. But you know what? It's a little picture, isn't it? Sometimes you get pushed along where you don't want to go. Sometimes a bigger force comes along and people power is a great force on a leader. You don't believe me, read the story of Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate wanted to release the Lord Jesus, but the mob outside the praetorium were crying, crucify him. And Pilate buckled to people power. But Jotham didn't do that. He didn't act corruptly. He didn't go along with the crowd. He stayed true to the Lord. Whether it was prodigal parents or a prodigal nation he'd made up his mind to walk 
with the Lord. What a great example he is. The hymn writer said, Christian, walk carefully. Danger is near. On in thy journey with trembling and fear. Snares from without and temptations within seek to entice thee once more into sin. That's the type of dangerous world we live in for those who want to be believers. And it takes great resolve and, and, and purpose of heart to live like he did. To do what is right in the sight of the Lord. Not even following our parents or the people around us. Now you may say to yourself, well where did this holy life begin? Well the clues actually are in the passage already. Because you'll notice back in verse 1 we're told about his mother. His mother in verse 1, his mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. Now Jerusha was a lady who, according to Josephus, the historian, was a resident of Jerusalem. You can hear the similarity in the name. And the name Jerusha means a possessor. So she, she lived in Jerusalem. But what is significant is she's the daughter of Zadok. You say, wow, that really blesses me. Well, who was Zadok? Well, if you do your Bible study in the book of Chronicles, you'll find Zadok was a priest in 1 Chronicles chapter 6. And she was from a priestly family. A family that loved the Lord and feared the Lord. And she was married to King Uzziah. And when Uzziah was walking with the Lord, she, with him, raised Jotham according to the word of God. There's a godly influence in the home. And that's a a great lesson for all of us who are parents to try and raise our children according to the word of God. If you want to grow the right kind of fruit, you've got to have the right kind of climate, isn't isn't that right? You can't grow fruit in any climate. You have to get the climate right and the conditions right. If you want to have godly offspring, then you need to have the right spiritual climate in your home for their growing up. And that means beginning with the word of God and teaching them the truth. What we call a family altar. You know, a Bible reading and prayer time where the word of God is instilled into the hearts of children. Someone wisely said a family altar can alter a family. And I believe in that with all my heart. And children will remember the legacy of their parents and the teaching of their parents. Even if they may be prodigal sons and daughters, they will remember what they were taught. And they will always have that to come back to you remember Peter Pan, the story of Peter Pan? It was written by J.M. Barry, who was a Scottish baron. And J.M. Barry's most treasured possession was his mother's Bible. She was a Bible-fearing woman, God-fearing woman, who read the Bible to him while he was growing up. And her Bible was the most treasured possession she had. And it had to be repaired and stitched back together again. She read it to bits. And when she was old and blind and couldn't read it anymore, she still asked every day, please put my Bible in my hand. It was that testimony that stayed with him as he was older. uh, The testimony of his mother. He said that Bible is mine now and to me the black threads which, with which she stitched it are a part of the contents and uh, it, it was a part of the lasting memory of a godly home. You know dear friends that's what we can give to others if we bring children up in the Lord. What an inspiration for us. And if we haven't had a godly home, let's learn from godly examples around us in the church. There are many who are mothers in the Lord. I love what Paul said about the wife uh, of uh, of Simon or the mother of Alexander and Rufus in, in, in the book of Romans chapter 16. He said that she was their mother and a mother to me. I love that. She was a mother to me, a spiritual mother in the Lord. And we can learn from them as well. That's his walk. And what an inspiration that is. Secondly, we have his works in verses 3 to 5. Okay, it's a www.sermon this afternoon. Okay, his works. Verse 3, he built the upper gate of the house of the Lord and he built extensively on the wall of Aphel. Moreover, he built cities in the mountains of Judah and in the forests he built fortresses 
and towers. He also fought with the kings of the Ammonites. Now our Christian works are very important. James tells us in the New Testament that faith without works is dead. In other words, you can say you're a Christian, say you've got faith, but it doesn't mean anything if it doesn't show in how you live. And it's not just a say-so salvation we ought to have, it's a show-so salvation. We ought to, as Paul said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Show it in your life, how you live, and, and make a difference with your works. And this is what Jotham did. And Jotham was committed to the Lord's work. And his works were all a part of a building program and a battle program. He was concentrating on building up and fighting back. Let's see what he did. He built up in verses 3 to 4. And in verses 3 to 4, we have a series of different places he built. He built the upper gate in verse 3 at the beginning, and he built the wall of Aphel at the end of verse 3. Then he built the cities in verse 4, and the fortresses and the towers at the other end of verse 4. And you'll notice this moves from the temple outwards, as if the temple is the centre of the world, which it is, as far as God's concerned, and then it moves outward. It goes from the, from the temple right out into the, 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 to the deserts. What were these things he built? Well, he built the upper gate. It's not a very clear picture. I'm sorry it's a a bit dark. But here you have uh, an artist's impression of what the temple looked like with the palace of the king next to it. This is the temple. Okay, and this is the house of the forest of Lebanon. You remember Solomon built that. We read about that in 1 Kings 7. And this is the king's palace. Now, if you stand, you can imagine yourself standing like that. You'll notice the king is on the right hand of the, of the temple. And this is, this is literal imagery that God is instilling in the minds of the Jewish people. The king sits at the right hand of God. And therefore, the king of kings, the Lord Jesus Christ, he sits at my right hand. That's why the palace was on the Temple Mount area, but it was on on the other side away from it. Well, you had a gate that led from the palace through to the temple, and that was called the upper gate or the higher gate. And if we take the temple descriptions in Ezekiel as being a description also partly of what it was like in Solomon's day, then there would have been eight steps up and they would have come in this temple gate. And many people, not just the king, would have entered the, uh, the temple to worship through the upper gate. And he beautified it, he built it up and made it beautiful, as Josephus said. He adorned it and added to its beauty. He was concerned with building up the the house of God. And then we also read in that verse that he built a fell. Now what is a fell? A fell means the higher place or the, the raised area. And it is this area in old Jerusalem, the old city of Jerusalem, David's Jerusalem, which was on the edge of where the, the, the temple was, which was where the palace and the houses were, the higher area. And it had a defensive wall around it. And if you read in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah had to rebuild that wall as well. And he built that wall for the people of God, the house of God and the defence of the capital. Not only that, we read that he built out in the desert and out in the fortresses as well. And he built desert fortresses. Now, this isn't uh, of biblical era, but it is going back hundreds and hundreds of years, back to crusader times. And it's a desert fortress. And it's the type of thing that they used to build in the days of the Old Testament kings as well. You had outposts all the way out into the desert so that you could hold back the enemy as long as possible before they invaded your mainland and also so you could have signalling back to your own land when an invasion was underway. And these towers and fortresses uh, were a complex of safety for the people of God. And he built up these fortresses, which was very important because if you look down in verse 7, it says, Now the rest of the acts of Jotham and all his wars and his ways, indeed they're written of in the book of Kings of Israel and Judah. What you don't read in this account, but you do read in the book of Kings, is that Syria tried to attack 
in this time. So those defences were, were very useful. But this man built up the house of God and the things of God. The Bible says there is a time to build, a time to break down and a time to build. He said this is the time to build. And uh, he was diligent in his building project. But he also had a battle program in that he fought back as well against the Ammonites in verse 15. He also fought with the king of the Ammonites and defeated them. And the people of Ammon gave him in that year 100 talents of silver, 10,000 cores of wheat and 10,000 of barley. The people of Ammon paid this to him in the second and the third years also. Now you say, John, where are the Ammonites? Well, the Ammonites are the people of Jordan. If you know the country of Jordan, what is the capital of Jordan today? It's Amman, isn't it? Well, Amman is Ammon. That's, that's what it is. It's the Ammonites. And by the way, you know, I was talking about Tutankhamun. Amun is the Amun in Tutankhamun and it shows that they had a similar deity belief uh, and he worshipped the god of Amun uh, as uh, we would say the god of uh, Abraham uh, uh, but he worshipped Amun. Anyway that's aside uh, the people of Ammon they came and they fought against the people of Judah. We read that in the, in the days of Jehoshaphat and Uzziah his father pushed them back but when his father caught leprosy the people thought great now we can fight again. The king isn't going to be any power to stop us. But Jotham, their king, came up and he pushed the people back. And he fought the battles of the Lord and contended uh, for what was important for the people of God, for their safety and for their, uh, the protection of, of the land, for the truth. And he even put them in subjugation so that they had to pay for three years silver, wheat and barley. Ten thousand, a hundred talents of silver. Do you know that's nearly four tons of silver they paid every year? What an income. And uh, the barley and the wheat came from the breadbasket of Jordan as it was at that time. It was a remarkable time of building up under his works as he did his best. It's a little bit like what's happening in Egypt at the moment. I don't know if you're aware of this, but the Egypt's new president, Abdiel Fattah al-Sisi, uh, he, when he took over from the Muslim Brotherhood, who had destroyed the churches and crushed Christianity, this is one of the answers to prayer when we pray for the persecuted church. In Egypt now, the he is rebuilding the churches and restoring Christian liberty. It's a remarkable story. You can read about it in, in Barnabas uh, this month. And uh, how this man has now said another 141 churches are to be legalised. It's a wonderful time of restoration. Makes you wonder if he was a believer as well. But he did these good works, fighting back and building up. I want to say again, what an example for us. Because, you know, our works as Christians should be to do the same thing. We should be building up the work of the Lord. You know, it's sad to say what Paul said about uh, the church in his day is true today. He said, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Philippians 2.21. And isn't it true that actually our own world and our own lives matter more to us than the church of God? How like the people in the days of Haggai when they built their own houses and the house of the Lord stood derelict. And God said, go up to the mountain and bring wood down and rebuild the house of the Lord. You know, I want to say, dear friends, we need people today who will be devoted to building up the work of God again. We need a generation of young people who will say, I am going to build the work of God. I'm going to be one who helps build up the work of God. I'm going to be one of those who helps to fight back the enemy. Jude verse 3 tells us to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. And that's something that still stands today. C.S. Lewis said, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. 
And he's right. There's a great spiritual warfare going on in this world. There's a battle for truth. And we need those who will fight the Lord's battles and stand for truth in this day and age as well. May our works show uh, uh, that we also are true believers and that we also care for the work of God. We need people who would be devoted to the Lord first and foremost. Here's a man from church history you may never have heard of because his life was in America. You've heard of John Wesley. Well, this man was named Francis Asbury. And he was a Methodist preacher. You know the little house on the prairie when all the settlements? Well, in those days, they didn't have hundreds of churches. And so they relied on what were called circuit preachers. And it was this man who invented circuit preaching. And circuit preachers were men in those days who would ride on horseback from one town here where there'd be a small community way out to another small community to take the word of God. And they would keep going round and round bringing the word of God to the people and feeding them as a shepherd. You know, this man rode 6,000 miles a year on horseback. I wonder how many of us in this room even drive 6,000 miles a year in our cars. But he rode 6,000 miles a year. He sustained himself nearly all his time on venison jerky. And he was the man who employed or recruited circuit preachers. In his life, he recruited 700 travelling preachers to go out and spread the word of God. And he uh, helped in 1771 build hundreds and hundreds of churches uh, all over the place for the spread of the gospel. You know, that was a man who was devoted to building Christ's kingdom, building his work in this world. That's what we should be inspired by, like Jotham. Are we going to help build the work of God? And then thirdly, we see his wisdom. And this is verse 6. And this is my favourite verse in the whole chapter and one of my life verses. So Jotham became mighty because he prepared his ways before the Lord, his God. Someone has said a successful man is one who makes more money than his wife can spend. A successful woman is one who can find such a man. (laughs) Well, I don't know about the spending part of it, but this was a successful man in a difficult age. And that was because he prepared his ways before the Lord, his God. That can also be translated, he ordered his ways before the Lord, his God. And uh, what that basically means is that this man didn't just make decisions, he prayerfully planned his life. And he made everything a matter of serious prayer. Remember the hymn, Take Time to Be Holy? It says this, Take time to be holy, let him be thy guide, and run not before him, whatever betide. And in the first verse it says this, forgetting in nothing his blessing to seek. And that's what Jotham did. He made his life plans in prayer before God. And every decision was prayed about and everything he was going to do, he saturated it in prayer before God. Now I want to say this was his wisdom and what led to the blessing of God on his life because he was constantly consulting with the Lord, how do you want me to live my life? And this is something I have a passion for because in our day and age today, we have uh, a reversal of this in Christian thinking. I read recently uh, in in a very well-respected Christian magazine an article by an American preacher called Kevin DeYoung in which he talked about guidance. And it's taken from a book of his that he wrote. And I was quite frankly horrified at what he said. Now, I don't like talking down about people. I'm sure he's not a bad man. But on the matter of guidance, I hope nobody takes seriously what he said. Because he said, basically, it's too difficult to keep praying and labouring in prayer over every decision. Just get on with your life and just trust God to guide you. 
Now, I want to say, if that's how you're going to live your life, please go and do it somewhere else. Because I don't want to be a casualty when you do things wrong and get things messed up like that. Because that is what happens. We are to be people who seek the Lord. And this was a great encouragement to me when I just went out to get a glass of water before coming into the service. I found Margaret had changed the poster in there and she'd put up on there Jeremiah chapter 10 verse 23. Have a look at it when we go for refreshments. Oh Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. In other words, we don't have the wisdom ourselves to know the way to go. So we need to look to the Lord and call on the Lord to direct our steps. This is how Jotham stopped himself making a king-sized mistake like his father. Proverbs 16 verse 3 says, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Proverbs 16 verse 9 says, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Psalm 73 verse 24 says, you shall guide me with your counsel and afterwards receive me up into glory. This is, this is what real Christian living is. Do you know, it's actually a mark of being a child of God that you seek the Lord for wisdom and guidance. Romans 8 verse 14 says this, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. In other words, if you couldn't care less what God's guidance is, I doubt very much if you are a child of God. A child of God cares what his father thinks. You know, when Paul went up to Jerusalem in the days of the apostles after he became a believer, in Galatians 2 verse 2, do you know what it says? He said, I, I went up by way of revelation. Have you ever thought about that phrase? I went up by way of revelation. What does that mean? Does that mean he sort of mystically woo, found his way spirited away up to Jerusalem? No, it doesn't. He meant God prompted him and showed him this is what you're to do you're to go up to Jerusalem and he went up he was led by the Lord some of you use the uh, our daily bread bible notes there's a man who works for our daily bread called Gary Doherty and he was walking home from church one evening and he saw a young man coming the opposite way uh, and he had a, a deep urge in his heart to go and tell him the gospel so he, he prayed about it and he went over and spoke to this young man he said pardon me but I believe God wants me to tell you how to become a Christian you know the young man was in total shock when he said this he said I just asked my girlfriend's mother that question but she didn't know and Gary looked at him and said you mean you want to become a Christian And the young man said, yes, I do. (laughs) Gary was still incredulous at this and asked him again. And then when he found he really did want to know, he shared the gospel with him. Now that was being led by the Spirit of God in his life, praying and asking God. And dear brothers and sisters, that's what you and I should be like too. This is what church leaders need to be like. Do you know there's a verse in the book of Jeremiah that chills me every time I read it. Jeremiah 10.21 For the shepherds have become dull-hearted and have not sought the Lord. Therefore they shall not prosper and all their flocks shall be scattered. What a terrifying verse. Church leaders need to be those who wait on the Lord and seek the Lord. We need to seek him. What do I preach? If you want to pray for Johnny Eichen, pray for him on Monday and Tuesday because I spend a lot of those hours on Monday and Tuesday labouring, trying to find the right thing to preach. And it isn't just, oh, just open it anyway. It's all God's word. It doesn't matter. I believe the word of God is prophetic speaks into people's lives i want to be on time and on target with the lord what does he want me to say pray god guide me what to speak because the word of god matters for people's lives how we run the church pray for the deacons to hear from the lord it's not just a case of well that's all the business over and done with it's a spiritual matter even the practicalities of a heating system Praying about it before God. 
asking God to lead us as a church. This is so important. Paul said, Ephesians 5.17, Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You say, how can we, how can we know what God's will is? Answer is pray. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be open unto you. You'll have to pray and I'm not promising you it will come in a split second. Sometimes it takes a long time praying. But God will show you. God will show you. The Lord Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. You will know his voice speaking to you, guiding you. If you wait on the Lord and you call on him to be your guide. This was his secret. Let me give you an illustration of how this was uh, very realistically affected uh, in the life of one Christian ministry. Uh, in, uh, I believe it's in London, there's a Christian bookshop. And, uh, sorry, uh, there, it, yes, in this, the lady who runs the bookshop is a lady called Margaret. And they were having to move out of their premises and they wanted to relocate somewhere. And their chosen location, every time they wanted to go there, the door seemed to be closed. They kept praying about it. They'd, they'd been thinking about it for a long time. The, the thing, this would be a good place for a Christian bookshop and it just never seemed to happen. They, they came back to the Lord and said, Lord, are you saying somewhere else? And another place opened up for them and they went. the move went through like that. Do you know what? After they moved, the road they were going to move into was shut for nearly a year for roadworks and repairs. It would have been the death of their business. They were led by the Lord. They waited on the Lord and he guided them. And this is one of the privileges of being a child of God. You'll notice in this verse it says, Jotham became mighty and this was the secret of his success because he prepared his ways before the Lord, his God. And it's because the Lord was his God. You know, in this chapter, we read about his mother in verse one. We read about his father in verse two. We read about his son, Ahaz, in verse nine. But here we read most important of all, the Lord is his God. And that meant he had a personal relationship with the Lord. And I want to say this, that's the secret. You can't have a guided life and you can't pray and seek God's wisdom and guidance unless you know the Lord yourself as your saviour. One man who proved that to himself was an Olympic gymnast by the name of Dmitry, or Kiki as he became known, uh, Popadik. He was from Czechoslovakia and he came into contact with some Christians and he heard the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and heard the gospel and he wanted to become a Christian. He asked the Lord, uh, he, he wanted to become a Christian. He was inspired by the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he said this, he said, at first I tried to adopt his, that's Jesus, character traits and hold on to my own worldview. But after a few months, I had to admit it was impossible. In other words, he wanted to Christianity, but he still wanted to be his old self. And he couldn't. He had to yield his heart to Christ and become a Christian. And then he knew the blessings of the help of the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life. And that's what you and I must do as well. So I want to inspire you to follow. I, I want to pray that, that you... Uh, Follow and are inspired by Jotham's example and begin to prepare your ways before the Lord. You're hoping to go on holiday this year if we can afford the petrol to get there. Pray about it. Pray about it. Where should we go? Oh, well, we always go to Bognor Regis or whatever. Listen, just pray about it. You know, we prayed about it and last year we went somewhere totally different and we were in the place where there wasn't a big heaving traffic jam every time we went out the door and we had good weather and the people who owned the house were Jehovah's Witnesses and we were able to witness to them. God will guide you if you prepare your ways before him. You want to know which school your children should be put in. Pray about it. Well, this, one, this one's the best one. Yeah, but maybe it's not the right one. Pray. 
your decisions in life. What a difference it will make if you prepare your ways before the Lord. You've got to learn to pray up to things. Make a prayer diary. Think what things are coming up in your life. We've got hospital visits coming up. We've got things. I'm not waiting for the day to pray about it. I'm not waiting for my next preaching engagement to pray about what I'm going to speak on. We're praying up to those things. Preparing our ways before the Lord. That was Jotham's wisdom. Let it be ours. And then finally we see here his witness as well in verses 7 to 9. Because the end of it says, Now the rest of the acts of Jotham and all his wars and ways indeed, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. And it repeats the opening verse about his age. And then in verse 9 it says, So Jotham rested with his fathers and they buried him in the city of David. Then Ahaz, his son, reigned in his place. Jotham had a closing witness. They wrote down his wars and his ways and recorded them for history in the books of the kings of Israel and here. He left a legacy. He, they wanted to remember what he had done. Matthew Henry said he finished his course too soon, but he finished it with honour. 41 is young to die, isn't it? But he lived a good life and he left a legacy behind that was a witness to others. Even the fact that how he died, if you look in verse 9, it says he rested with his fathers. It doesn't say he snuffed it, he kicked the bucket, he rested. You know what, when John Eichen dies, even for all his sins, I'm going to rest. Because I'm in Christ. I'm going to rest. And the saints sleep, they don't die. And he rested with his fathers. He went to to paradise and they buried him in the city of David. Now, you may not think that's a very big thing, but in the city of David was where the kings were buried. Even his father in the previous chapter in verse 23 wasn't able to be buried in the city because of what he'd done wrong. But this man was because he had lived a good life and he left a legacy for others to follow. David Brainerd, the missionary to the American Indians, on his deathbed wrote a letter to his friend and said, I declare now I am dying, I would not have spent my life otherwise for the whole world. In other words, trusting the Lord and walking with him. Let that be our witness too, as we live and as we die, that we've lived and died in faith in the Lord and we've tried to live and die in the power of his Holy Spirit to follow him. The Christian life is only possible in the power God gives and it bears fruit only when we walk with him. So let me close by saying this. Here we have the example of a good king. I want to tell you there's one other king you and I need to know. The most important of one, the king of kings and lord of lords, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jotham saw him by faith and put his trust in him. You and I must do the same. If we're not, we're not Christians. Thomas Watson, the Puritan, said, Such as will not have Christ to be their king, to rule over them, shall never have his blood to save them. So come to the Lord Jesus, crown him as your captain as your, and your king, and yield your life and follow him, and follow Jotham as he himself followed Christ.